Hi guys, welcome to another episode of What the Tech Am I Doing? Today we have Geraldine Pena, who not only has had an amazing career in ops integration and as an engineer at uh, Edwards Life Sciences, but she recently is going to get her MBA at Harvard, and so she's going full-time, and so she's coming on the podcast to kind of talk about that and the journey and how she decided, because we've gotten a lot of questions about that recently. Also, spoiler, she got into everywhere she applied for, so she's going to give us some tips and tricks about how that happened. Um, So thanks for joining us today, Geraldine. Awesome. Thanks for having me over, Dally. (laughs) Is there anything you want the audience to know about yourself before we get started? Um, I think uh, mostly, like, background-wise, I am an engineer, as you mentioned, uh, biomedical engineer, and I've been working at Edwards uh, my entire career. I've been in operations the whole time. I've, I've gone back and forth from different roles in operations, but I've really enjoyed being in operations. Um, so now getting the MBA will be a little bit different, um, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but yeah, engineer, manager now. I had the great pleasure to um, have you in the team, and I <laughs> um, now made a decision to get an MBA, as you mentioned. So let's start with your career. Um, you you have had a pretty impressive career, and anyone who's worked with you knows that you're highly respected, both people above you, people below you, your peers. What got you into the medical device industry, and what do you think helped lead to your steep career growth and, and uh, company-wide respect, I should say? Well, thank you. That's uh, really <laughs> humbling. I appreciate that. Um so what got me into the medical device field, I guess I always wanted um, to be in healthcare. Um, I don't know that there's a particular um, point in my life where I made that decision, um, but there are things a little more personal that happened in my life that kind of pointed me in, in the direction of medical devices. Um, my dad uh, passed away when I was younger, and long story short, had he been monitored with a Flowtrek, which is one of our devices at Edwards, I think things would have been different. Um, so things like that, I think, kind of shaped me wanting to be in healthcare and, in general, find ways to make it more accessible and um, improve. However small of a part of healthcare I could improve um, is highly motivating for me. So that's why I ended up getting my undergrad in biomedical engineering and then ended up moving to get my master's at USC, also in biomedical engineering, medical device or product development more specifically, um, and now hoping to do or to have even bigger impact with the MBA. Um, So I think that's one of the reasons um, I ended up getting into medical devices, Um, but it's something I've always kind of been passionate about. Um, and then your second question is, is very humbling. I don't know that I necessarily have had a, you know, particularly steep career growth or anything, but I, I do really appreciate the professional development and growth that I've had at Edwards. Um, I've gotten, I mean, I started as an engineer one, as an ops integrator, um, not knowing anything about what the role would entail. Um, when I got the call to offer me the position, I they didn't even know what questions to ask. Uh, so I truly, truly knew nothing. 
um, which I think kind of helped because um, I didn't have any expectations on what I was supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. I got to learn it along the way. Um, the team was new, so I really got to experience um, kind of starting something from scratch. And then moved around with within different projects and operations, different uh, roles, but always in kind of this same space of uh, supply chain and operations. Um, and I think maybe the biggest thing that's happened in my career that I think um, has had the biggest impact is I've had amazing mentors and leaders to look up to. I think there's, you know, you can learn all the technical skills you want. You can go to all the trainings. You can be as hands-on as possible. But it's really, to me at least, what I've gotten to learn from others that I truly admire and respect professionally. Not just, you know, people above me, but peers and and everyone I've gone to work with has truly shaped my career. And there's a, a handful of people that I've been or could never be grateful enough to <laughs> for what they've, you know, helped me, how they've helped me grow professionally and, and personally. And I think that's been super key. Um, I don't think I've copied them, but I've definitely um, gone little pieces of, of each of these people um, that kind of have shaped my leadership style and um, I guess the professional that I am today. So I think short answer to your question is I really owe it to um, people that have believed in me and have been in my corner uh, my entire career. Hmm. I appreciate that. Good answers for all that. I couldn't agree more with <laughs> everything. I mean, the mentorship, You, I feel like it's something that with strong people who support you, uh, you're kind of unstoppable. Yeah, and I think what's what's even more important there is, I think sometimes mentorship is is done in a way where people feel like they have to follow the advice or they have to copy what those people did in their career. Or even mentors think that it's all about just telling them what worked for them. When in reality, what's been most beneficial for me is the mentors that I've had have been people that truly care about me and and understand me as a person, as a professional, what I'm capable of, what I want to do, um, the things I want to accomplish. And based on that, they've given advice, they've um, been a sounding board. And I think that's been the most important part for me and and mostly just supportive. Yep. I think another thing you, I want to mention about mentors, because I know this is something like that we people always say you should get a mentor, you know, this or that. And it doesn't have to be so formal as you're like, you are my mentor. <laughs> Will you be my mentor? It's like you said, if you admire someone, you admire how they do things, you respect them. If you're going through a certain situation or maybe you dealt with a, you dealt with um, a situation a certain way, you can go to someone who you admire. Say you had to negotiate, for example, if you admire the way someone else negotiates, you could talk to them before or even talk to them after and say, I went about it this way. What what improvements could I have done? What would you recommend? And then you kind of build the relationship there. It doesn't necessarily have to be so formal, I feel like, as some, sometimes we make it. I 100% agree. I think it feels very intimidating when you're starting out in your career. Uh, when people tell you get mentors and you're like, how do I even start doing that? And, and that's, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I'm not going to just go up to somebody and be like, Hey, would you be my mentor? (laughs) 
And it just, I feel like the best mentors happen organically. People Mm -hmm. that you work with, people that have, uh, that you get to uh, be in the same room with and meetings and you get to see how they make decisions, how they react to things and, and you end up admiring their leadership style and then you can just connect and learn from them that way. And you may not ever actually say officially, would you be my mentor? But you both know you're in a mentorship type of relationship. So I think that's the best kind of uh, mentorship you can get. Yep, I agree. So something else before we get into the fun MBA stuff. You are someone who really enjoys your work and it's very obvious. I know you mentioned where, you know, deep down that passion comes from. What else do you do that helps you find joy and avoid stress in a nine to five job? That's a great question. I think um, for me, and this is going to sound like a cliche, but <laughs> it's really because I love my job. I, it's been, um, as I've told you multiple times, it's been a very difficult decision to go get the MBA precisely for that reason, because I love my job. I love my coworkers. I love my team. Um, and, and most importantly, I love what we do as a company and even as an industry in medical devices. Um, so that alone is, is a big part of why I find joy in what I do. I think the purpose um, of the industry we work in and the, the work that I specifically have been doing um, is very motivating um, for me. So I think that's, that's most important. I would encourage everybody to do something that truly aligns with their passion and with their purpose, their career purpose, their life purpose. Um, a lot of people would say, you know, you have your personal life, your professional life, and they're separate. I actually don't believe in that. I think they're very much intertwined because, you know, you end up spending a lot more time at work than you do anywhere else. So your professional life is part of your life. So you, you have to have a big passion around it. It has to make you happy. Um, and most importantly, I think you need to define for yourself what matters most to you. And then based on that, find a career that fulfills that purpose. Um, to some people, it's helping others. Some people, it's career development, money, whatever it is, just make sure it's your purpose, what matters to mm-hmm. you, and and kind of follow that. I think that's been most important for me and, and why I, I always find joy in, in my job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not always perfect. It goes <laughs> up and down, and, and there will be days where it's hard and, and you get frustrated. Um, but it's going back to that reason for why you do it that really helps you kind of move past those days. Mm-hmm. And then who are we kidding? There's no, there will be stress. There's no escaping it. Um, I think the world today doesn't exist without stress. It's more about how you manage it and how you find your own work-life balance. It's, it's also kind of a cliche term nowadays, but it's very important And what I was saying originally about your professional life and your personal life being intertwined, it's so true for me. Work-life balance means something different for everybody. So just for me, it's it's finding what what works for me. And it may be horrible to some other people, but it works for me. (laughs) And it helps me, you know, manage stress and and focus on, you know, other things outside of work when I'm not supposed to be working. So Mm -hmm. I think to me, those are the most important things. Do, do what makes you happy, follow your passion, um, 
and find the balance that helps you have that intertwined professional and personal life as you prioritize through how to make decisions, how to react to things. Not everything deserves the same level of attention from you or even the same type of reaction. It took me a while actually to learn that. Um, But once you figure out how to react to different things, you'll learn to manage stress um, a lot more easily. That's a really good point. I think that you made at the end there, especially is there's constantly going to be stressful things that are (laughs) happening at work. Nothing's always positive, but going back to the why and managing your reactions to it. You know, if every time something bad happens, you're getting really stressed, you're taking it into your personal life. um, It's going to build up and it's eventually going to get at you versus, okay, does this really matter? If I don't do this today, you know, is it really going to make this huge, huge deal and trying to bring in the big picture? And I think you're right. It does end up helping managing the stress where you're like, okay, this is why I'm doing it. Does this matter in the grand scheme? Hopefully no. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, trying to enjoy your day outside of work uh, as well. Exactly. One of the best advices I've ever gotten from someone I, I admire a lot is cut through the noise. There's always noise. There's always things that are making things more complicated um, because of whatever the reason, maybe poor communication, whatever may be happening that's creating a lot of noise. Just cut through it and get to what's truly important and then prioritize that as something that is worth your time and, and your effort and your even potential stress. You can't stress over everything. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I think... Uh, one thing that I would like to touch on, because I've gotten some uh, people asking for advice about this. So when you bring that up in terms of cutting out the noise is in our day and age, you know, you're seeing what everyone's doing on social media, you're seeing your peers at work, everyone's, you know, everyone's trying to make the best out of their life. And part of that noise is comparing yourself to others. And so you see someone else getting more recognition or you think your work deserves something else or whatever it may be that's causing you that that noise when it comes to comparison and comparing yourself to someone else. I think some things that help me to remember is like, if you're enjoying, like the purpose of life is just to be happy. Um, so if you're enjoying yourself, um, it doesn't matter if someone's also enjoying themselves you know (laughs) and and if they're not enjoying themselves like you know you can help them but don't let them bring you down um and then after enjoying yourself like if you set yourself up for success we tend to get very impatient like a month feels so long, but like a month in the grand scheme of things is so minuscule. So it's like, continue to set yourself up for success. And obviously, don't sit in a bad situation for too long. Um, But if you're, there's things you can do to prepare yourself for what's coming. um, Even if maybe your current situation, you don't, you don't feel like is the best for you at that moment and just trying to make sure that what you're doing is making giving you happiness and if it's not you know look into what what will change that and how you can prepare yourself with your current situation to get to where you want to be I love that that outlook you have on on life um Dali because 
I think that's so important. You should do what makes you happy today, as long as that isn't hindering you from getting to where you <laughs> want to get to. Those two things, to me, should go hand in hand. I am not one of those people that um, prioritizes sacrificing yourself today just so that in the future you get what you want. It's more about, I think, today is what's important, the present. Um, and comparison happens all the time. The present for some people may look better than, than yours based on what they think is better. But as long as you're focusing on what you think makes you happy and what your, your own purpose is in life and what you value at the moment, you're, you're already winning. Because mm-hmm. I think everyone is, is running on a different track and it's very specific to what you define your own track to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so getting into MBA fun. What <laughs> made you start thinking about getting your MBA? Yeah, I think I always kind of knew I wanted to get an MBA. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I have a master's in medical devices um, and I got that right after college. And I think after that, I was kind of done with school. I didn't think I wanted to go back (laughs) to school. Um, So I kind of put it um, on hold or, you know, I I kept thinking about it and speaking to mentors and whatnot. It kept coming up as something um, that I was thinking of doing. But the reasons I thought I wanted to get it back then uh, are very different now. Um, back then I thought, you know, I should get an MBA because I want to have better, um, financial skills. I want to understand the terminology. I want to be able to make decisions in that space. And it was mostly around kind of the content, mm-hmm. um, that you learn in an MBA. And I think that's what made me want to put it on hold because it, it made it too much like school and I was over school <laughs> back then. <laughs> So it wasn't making me excited. Um, it was more of a, I think I should get it to be able to understand these things, but I'm not excited about it. So back then I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll do it part-time um, somewhere, you know, in, in Southern California so I can keep working. Um, and it really wasn't until I talked to actually our corporate vice president at Edwards, who also has an MBA um, from Harvard, that I truly understood what is the value of getting an MBA or at least what, what she had seen at the val- as the value that I 100% uh, identified with. And it's really about the people you meet, the, uh, what you learn from them, the variety of industry backgrounds, um, cultural backgrounds, different things that you get exposed to in a way that um, is, goes well beyond what you may be taught in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got really excited. <laughs> and that's when I really started thinking about maybe I should do it at a top school. And it's really, it, it was really because that's where I felt like there was a lot more potential to meet people with amazing experiences that I could learn from and, um, you know, continue to nurture relationships of that nature moving forward. And I, honestly never thought up until then that I would even apply to a school like Harvard. (laughs) Um, And, but I got very excited just from that conversation, just hearing from someone that went through it and how their, their biggest 
benefit or the biggest value coming out of it wasn't the the concepts they learned. It was so much more than that. That's when I was like, okay, this is something I really want to do. And that's when I committed to, you know, starting to study for the GMAT and getting um, the applications done and all that stuff. And and it was kind of like a switch. That's And that was about three years ago, uh, three, four years ago. That's when I, I realized, okay, I, I don't care that I'm over school. This is different. This is something that I'm very, very excited to do. Um, so I guess that's when it really happened. Great. That's interesting because I feel like if you, I mean, it makes sense if you admire someone's position, you're like, okay, why did you do this? What did you get do to get here? Um, and then getting different perspectives on that. But what else did you consider when deciding what type of MBA, where, and also when, because I think that's another big thing. Yeah, that that's a, a big one, because obviously there's all kinds of different types of MBA from, you know, you can do it online, you can do it part-time, you can do it, um, you can do an executive MBA, you can do it full-time like what I'm doing. And I think what's most important is understanding what you want to get out of it. Um, to some people, what they want to get out of it is what I thought it was about at the beginning. You know, they want to be able to uh, understand what's happening in, in discussions where the specific concepts that you learn in the MBA um, are kind of part of the day-to-day conversations. To some other people, it's part of what is required for their career growth. Certain professions, is it's almost mandatory. Otherwise, you don't move up as fast or you don't move up at all. Um, for me, none of those things kind of applied, you know, obviously as an engineer, an MBA isn't required by any means. Um, it's, it's not even as common. Um, so it wasn't about that for me. I think when, when I understood the types of, um, discussions that happen in class, the type of, um, relationships you meet, you make the professors that you will get to learn from the, you know, internships, um, the opportunities to do field immersions type programs and traveling and doing externships and stuff like that. That's when I realized what I wanted to get out of the MBA was something that I could only get if I did it full time. Mm -hmm. And if I did it at a top school. Um, So that was something that was very specific to me and what I wanted to get out of it. I think back to your point about comparison, you have to, the most important thing before you embark on a change this big is figuring out why you want to do it and what you're going to get out of it and how it's going to move you closer to, to achieving your purpose. For me, that was the most important uh, part of the equation as I was making this decision. So the type of MBA for me, once I understood what it really was about, it was a no-brainer. I wanted to do it full-time, and I wanted to do, to do it at a school like Harvard. Um, then beyond that, I think in terms of, like, when to do it, I, like I said before, I was putting it off um, for a while <laughs> because I wasn't excited about going back to school. Um, so I think, you know, the sweet spot to do it is probably when you have between like five and eight years of experience. Um, I'm at a little bit over seven years. Um, so maybe, you know, a couple of years ago would have probably been a little bit better um, just from the perspective of um, being able to utilize what you learn, 
even from a management and, and leadership standpoint, that, that's a big focus on MBA programs and, and Harvard particularly. Um, but I think for me, I'm really glad, I think, from, for how I did it because I got to get some management experience and mm-hmm. it was probably my favorite part of my career so far. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad I, I did it that way. But I think timing, what's most important and, and I don't mean to like sound like a broken record, but is what works for you. I think <laughs> to some people, they, they want to do it really early because they can't imagine going back to school after a few years in the workforce. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it any earlier than after you have at least four years of experience so you can really um, leverage what you're learning and mm-hmm. also so you can contribute to your classmates. Um, it's, it's so much about what you learn from one another that you don't want to go there without having a ton to contribute. Um, so I think that's really important. And then on the other end, I didn't want to wait until I have a family and, and a lot mm-hmm. of different priorities um, that would make it more complicated. So I think I'm really happy for how it worked out for me. Um, but I would recommend do find, find the timeline that works best for you based on your personal life, your personal priorities, and where you see your career going. So when it came to Harvard versus other top business schools, was there something that uh, differentiated it for you? Yeah, so I looked at a lot of different um, schools, at, you know, the, the top schools, and I wanted to live on the East Coast. I wanted to have a different experience. Um, you know, I lived in Venezuela my entire childhood, and then I lived in Texas and California, but I hadn't really experienced anything um, drastically different. So I wanted to see, I wanted to get the experience of living um, somewhere else with a different pace. So that was a big reason why all the schools I applied to, um, or most of the schools I applied to were on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the HBS program, the Harvard Business School program, is very focused on general management. And to me, that was also important. I don't intend to become um, a finance person. Like, I, I don't want to be like the CFO of an organization or anything like that. So going to a program that puts a big emphasis in finance wasn't a priority for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to go somewhere where it was more around getting a well-rounded kind of MBA exposure or oh. experience and very focused on leadership and management. Um, so that's why I ended up um, really picking the HBS program. Um, I, I was very excited about everything they had to share um, in all the like webinars and all the sessions we had um, from the beginning. It it just kind of um, I really identified with um, the general management type program. Nice. Okay, that's good to know. And so another thing is that you did get in everywhere you applied, which is very rare. I feel like for an MBA program. <laughs> Uh, especially when you're applying to very competitive schools. So I know it's hard to pinpoint why, you know, a school selected you or let you in, but what do you think helped your application? Yeah, that one, that one's also hard because I don't, (laughs) I don't think there's, you know, like a secret recipe or anything like that. I think for me, I would say what was most important is I kind of 
stayed true to myself and told my story. Um, for example, the HBS application is very open in terms of uh, what they ask. There's one essay and they, the question is just, what else would you like us to know about you? So it's incredibly <laughs> wide and, and you could answer that question a million different ways, um, which I appreciated because it, it lets you kind of tell your story. So that's what I did. I, and and that's that particular application. I told my story, um, what was important to me, how I got to where I, to where I am and let them see, I think the more personal side of the application. They, I think a lot of people focus too much on showing your accomplishments or mm -hmm. things that can be found in other places of your application. I mean, they get to see your resume, they get to see letters of recommendation. So I really focused on telling them like who I was, aside from what they already get to see. So I think that one's important. And honestly, don't try to my biggest advice would, would be don't try to tell them what you think they want to hear. And this <laughs> one's this one's an overplayed advice, but it's so true. You get so in your head when you're applying to business schools that you start wondering like, oh, for this particular school, they're looking for this. Maybe I should tell them I did this. Mm. Um, and, and maybe I shouldn't bring this part up in, in this essay, but maybe highlight it in this one. And I think when you try to do it like that, where you try to hit what you think they want to hear, that's where it kind of goes wrong. Because what I learned, and I wish I had known this earlier in the application process, is that schools are trying to build a super diverse class where everyone gets to learn from one another. And they're looking for fit. They're looking for what will you contribute to your classmates. So if you start saying things that aren't necessarily true, not, not lying, but like not true to yourself, but they, they feel forced or, or fake or artificial, then it, it falls apart really quickly. And even if you get in, you may not, it may not be the right fit for you. And that's super important. It's, it's got to be the right fit. All of these schools are very different from one another. So what's most important is, I mean, you're going to spend two years there and then you're going to yeah. be part of the alumni network and the rest of your life. So you, there has to be good fit. So I think for me, the biggest thing was I, I told my real story, whether that was what they wanted to hear or not, <laughs> my story. Um, so I think that one, that one's probably the, the most important. Um, I would say also, don't stress out too much um, about whether what you're um, applying with, like be it your GMAT score, the quality of your essay, your recommendation letters, they're not looking for, for perfect. Like I said, they're looking for, are you a right fit? Will you be adding value to your classmates, um, to the community, et cetera? Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's really what counts. You don't have to have perfect in, in every aspect. In fact, there may just be one thing that they really love, um, and you don't know what that thing may be. So don't stress out too much about making everything look perfect. That's good advice. So you mentioned... GMAT and not making you know don't stress too much about a perfect score but a good score is needed uh and you you know accomplish that do you have any GMAT advice for people out there trying to start studying for it or take it because uh, that's really like one of the first steps of the process yeah I actually have a lot to say about the GMAT <laughs> um, <laughs> good and bad 
Um, I think my the biggest advice is start early. Even if you think you may potentially go to business school, I would start figuring out, you know, how to study, um, create a calendar for yourself. It does take a lot of time. I think, I mean, th- these kinds of problems are easy for some people. For me, that wasn't the case. I actually had to study a lot. Um, so it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Um, so start early and, and plan it. Um, find study programs that work for you. I tried a few and they weren't clicking. The one that truly worked for me was target test prep. That mm-hmm. one took the longest because they, they <laughs> really go to basics, um, which was going to be my next advice. Learn the theory and the concepts. Um, it sounds like a waste of time, but it's the most important because even though this is, you know, high school level material, it's stuff that you probably don't remember anymore. And when it gets down to test day and you're having to answer questions with under two minutes, if you don't have the basics well understood, you're, you're going to trip on the more difficult questions. So I'd say start early. Focus on the theory and the concepts. Don't underestimate how long it, it takes to study for this thing. Um, you can also do, this is something I found very helpful. You can do a diagnostic test um, just to kind of see where you're at. Um, chances are you're not going to score well um, mm-hmm. in that first one. But it kind of gives you an idea of what are the, the topics that are hardest for you, the ones you don't like, so that you can focus the most on those. And once you you start studying, which, by the way, I did something like maybe 10 hours a week, those problems or those types of questions that you don't like are the ones you're not going to want to do. But it turns out those are the ones you need to do the most because the way the GMAT works is it builds upon the previous question. So if you didn't answer that correctly, then the next one is going to count for less points. So you don't want to leave any topics out from your studying, mm-hmm. particularly the ones that are hardest for you, which may not be the hardest for everybody. Um, so don't, my advice would be don't follow, like, if you look up YouTube videos about, like, these are the hardest problems on the GMAT, they may not be the hardest for you. So I'd say find a program that goes back to the basics and takes you through the whole um, learning everything, like learning all the material um, from concept to difficult problems and and do that and i would recommend at least six months to study for for the gmat and then you can take a couple of practice tests along the way to see how you're doing and then maybe you need less than six months but if you don't want to have to study a million hours a week and (laughs) stress out about it i would say do at least six months that's fair give yourself the time yeah exactly and you're, you're likely going to not score well the first time. I think very few people only take it once. Um, so don't panic if you don't do well the first time, even the second time or the third time. These tests are, I think they, they go beyond just testing your knowledge and, and your critical thinking abilities. It's also testing whether or not you can sit still for four hours, <laughs> which honestly doesn't add a ton of value in your career, but it is what they're testing. So it's important for you to understand what they're looking for and how to how to perform well in an environment like that. And then you should take your practice test in that same environment um, so you can start to prepare. It's 
it's actually a lot harder than it sounds to have your brain at 100% for four hours straight. Um, so that kind of stuff is very important. <laughs> Don't underestimate it. I did for the first time I took it. I took a bunch of practice exams, but I took them in pieces. I never sat down for a full practice test. So when the actual test date came around, I my brain couldn't handle it by the end of it. <laughs> so my biggest advice or the biggest advice I can share is start early, find the right study program that works for you and take practice tests in the same environment so you can get used to it and and don't freak out if your first second or third scores can have room for improvement that's likely the case for majority of people taking it that's fair that's fair it's like that's the whole point of studying it's gonna get better <laughs> exactly and also between the like quantitative sections and the verbal sections one of them is likely to be easier um, for different people. So focus on, on what's harder, but don't mm. forget the easier one. Like okay. if, if quant is easier for you, do more verbal stuff, but, but continue to study and practice quant because it's, it's kind of like muscle memory. Um, yeah. You just got to practice a ton. Yeah, that's a good point. Then it'll, it'll uh, eventually become more natural. Exactly. Like, I've seen this question before or something similar to it. Exactly. Ultimately, it boils down to that. They have maybe like 30 different types of um, problems. And if you figure out how they work, they'll be presented in very different ways. So they look like a different type of problem. But there aren't, I mean, they're not making up types of problems on test day. So figure out how to go about answering each type of problem and have a strategy um that works for you and then that makes it a lot easier on test day to react to certain types of problems true true i like that any final advice on gmat before we move on um i think the the biggest thing i can share without having gone to the program yet (laughs) is um, make sure you go to the program that um, matches what you want. I think a lot of people pick programs based on, you know, their recognition or stuff like that. And I think what's most important is whether or not you'll be, um, you'll enjoy yourself in the program. You'll end up being able to, you know, get a job in the area that you want. And not every school is the same in that regard, even the schools at the top. So that's my, my biggest advice. Um, find a program that, you know, aligns well with what you want to do. Thank you. Good advice. So what do you wish you knew earlier in your career? Talking about advice. Hmm. I think I, I talked a little bit about this before, but, and, and you mentioned it too with the comparisons. I think everyone will always have an opinion. Um, and people are always quick to give opinions. Um, so my something I wish I had known early was don't listen so much to that. Or I wish I hadn't listened too much to whether or not, um, you know, I was following the right career path or I was mm. doing all that I could be doing or, you know, anything like that but rather focus on 
getting advice from people that actually genuinely care about you and that you respect professionally. I think, you know, I, I got to learn that early on, but there's, you can always learn things earlier. Um, and for me that, that would have been important to not feel like I was, you know, falling behind or not on the right track. Like for example, I stayed in operations and in the one division my entire career and a lot of people would bring up, you know, you're not getting enough, um, you know, lateral exposure. You're not running your skills. Mm-hmm. And I questioned it for a while. But then I would always go back to what I mentioned at the beginning. What is my purpose and what makes me happy today and but still allows me to get to where I want to get to later? And for me, what was most important, my biggest priority was, am I learning from the right people? Do I enjoy my day-to-day? Do I, do I like my management and my chain of command beyond just liking them as people? But are they <laughs> people that I admire, people I want to learn from? Um, do I enjoy my actual job to the point where it doesn't feel too much like a job? To mm-hmm. me, that was the most important. So I think something I wish I had known earlier is stick to that. And people will have their opinions. People will tell you what they want to tell you, but stick to what you value most. Um, I think, and and find those people that you that truly truly care about you, and that when they give you advice, they're not just telling you how they did it and how they think that's how you should do it, but rather they're giving you advice that is very personalized to you. And it's not even advice; it's more like you're having a two way conversation where the fact that they have more experience comes in handy. (laughs) Okay, so last and final question. Is there anything in terms of advice that you want to leave the audience with? Hmm, I would say in in terms of the MBA, I would say for people that maybe, um, you know, not sure, maybe thinking about potentially getting an MBA, and they, if they are being, you know, pressured by, you know, these comparisons or, you know, what other people are telling them they should be doing, make sure that it will add value to you personally and to your career. It is a big commitment, whether you do it full time or not. It takes, I mean, it takes away from your normal life and it's a big financial commitment too. So my biggest advice on that front is, make sure it's right for you and that it will help you uh, move the needle, whether personally or professionally. Um, that's, that's super important. And then outside of the MBA, I would say I, we've talked a lot about mentors and um, having people that you trust and admire in your life. That one sounds like overplayed advice, but it's so important mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be, like you were saying originally, it doesn't have to be official. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go up to someone and ask for permission for them to, you know, be your mentor. Mm -hmm. Just find those people that you end up having one-on-ones with because you enjoy having discussions with them and you enjoy the way they, they see things professionally or even personally. And those people end up being the best mentors for you. Um, I am fortunate enough to say my mentors are also great friends and it's not something I think that you can 
find by artificially trying to get a mentor. It's got to be organically. So that's, I think, another big advice. And, and lastly, I would say take risks. This big move for me is a big risk, both per- personally and professionally. And it took some time for me to commit to it. But the closer I get to moving and getting started, the more excited I get. And the more I realize it was a huge risk. Um, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk in two years, it's, it, it was all, you know, the right decision. But I, I feel like I have grown so much just from the application process. I've gotten to, to learn so much more about myself, about what matters to me. And it all came from taking a big risk. So definitely, it sounds scary and overwhelming. Um, but find that thing that you think will make you even happier and get you closer to achieving your purpose and take the risk. That's really good advice. And we'll have to bring you back on in, in two years to see if it all, you know, the you have more advice after going through the process. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be super honored. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Geraldine, for coming on. Um, I mean, this whole podcast started for wanting to share the amazing mentors and give mentors in that network and advice to everyone. And I think you're someone who I admire and I know a lot of people uh, also admire. So I'm glad we can spread your knowledge a little more um, and then hopefully we can continue that and people I think will take something from this whether they plan on getting an MBA or not I think there's some good advice uh, throughout the episode so thanks for coming on awesome thank you for inviting me Deli this was an awesome experience (laughs) 